Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system and I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, Math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You're listening to Voices of Your Village, and today we get to hang out with my pal, Heather Avis, from the Lucky Few Foundation. Maybe you follow the Lucky Few official on Instagram. Fantastic follow. Uh, Heather wrote one of my absolute favorite children's books. It's called Everyone Belongs, and I honestly, I cannot read it without crying. It's so good. It's one of my favorite gifts to give at kids' birthday parties. And today we get to dive in with her on how to build a culture of inclusivity at home. I love Heather's approach and work and influence in this space. And it was truly a dream to get to sit down and chat with her. And I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you. All right, folks, let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today, I get to hang out with my friend, Heather. Heather, I started following you on Instagram at the Lucky Few. I think it's the Lucky Few official. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, the official name a while ago. And then this book came out. You wrote the book, Everyone Belongs, and I a thousand percent fell in love with it. And it's now like we have two copies in my household because I have one on hand in case like we're invited to a birthday party or something comes up and I'm like, a kid needs this. I always just keep an extra copy on it. Actually, my agent the other day was talking about our, my book coming out in the fall. And she was like, you're the rule is you always keep two copies. One that's yours that has your notes in it. And one, just in case you need to give a copy out to someone. And I feel like that's what I do, but with everyone belongs, um, (laughs) your book. Um, so thank you so much for writing it. Heather is a New York Times bestselling author and podcaster and Down syndrome advocate working to create a more inclusive world where everyone belongs. And you sure are working on it, sister. It's How a are job. You? It's a job. <laughs> yes. I'm like, can I make jewelry? No. Just 
I'm sure you can relate to that sometimes. Like hundred percent. What if I made coffee for a living? Can I make coffee? <laughs> or like my husband has a job that he like goes to and then leaves and doesn't think about after. And I'm like, wow, how cool is that? Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Help me understand. Um, can you share with folks, what is the Lucky Few Foundation? What does that mean? Yeah. So the Lucky Few is our overarching business. When I say our, my husband and I run this run this whole thing together. I'm going to take you back a tiny bit to, I have, so I have three kids. My oldest is 14, has Down syndrome. I have an 11 year old and a nine year old who also has Down syndrome. My 11 year old has no disabilities. And when my oldest daughter came home with Down syndrome, very quickly, I realized how we were the only people in a space with Down, with, she was the only person in a space with Down syndrome. I didn't, there, I wasn't with other parents in playgroups, at the grocery store, at the park, wherever. And I would feel this overwhelming sense of privilege for that. Like you're the only one in your mind. Oh my gosh, I get this kid. She's incredible. And then also understanding that prior to falling in love with her, there was a narrative around there. There wasn't is a narrative around down syndrome that is negative and devastating. And all of these horrible ideas, that's this narrative that's falsely being told about a person with down syndrome. And I felt so lucky. So I started saying there's few of us who have someone with down, love someone with down syndrome. And those of us who do are the lucky few. And then just putting that into the world. And it took off in a sense, like wildfire within the down syndrome community. It's hard now to find anywhere in the down syndrome community. That's not familiar with the lucky few that the phrase, they don't necessarily know me, but they're, they have um, attached that phrase or the idea of luck being attached to down syndrome. So the lucky few went in, entered into the world through social media. Like, I guess a lot of good things do. We'll just stick to the good side. (laughs) And then I was a stay at home mom and I got an opportunity and I started blogging. My daughter was born in 2008. And that's right around the time that every mother started a blog. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had a agent reach out to me, a literary agent reach out and say, Hey, would you ever want to turn your story into a book? And that turned into a long conversation and more babies came home in the meantime. And then I ended up writing a book and calling it the lucky few. So it's been this unfolding of that. Then once I had my first book in the world, there were opportunities, doors opening to travel and speak. And I was staying home full time and my husband was working full time. And we got to a point where something had to give and my husband actually quit his job and came on full-time with the lucky few. So we started an LLC and then the last couple of years that has also then rolled over into a foundation where we are committed to telling the whole true big story of down syndrome by highlighting people with down syndrome and those who love them and letting them, giving them a platform to share their stories in a true and beautiful way. I love that. And what does that look like giving them a platform? So we gather the stories in a storytelling weekend. Uh, last year, we went on a storytelling tour for five weeks. My husband and I and our three children traveled around to five different cities and in a five-week span, got about 250 stories. And so it looks like beautiful photography and 400 words or less because we live in a world in which it's harder. It's hard for a consumer to consume more than 400 words at a time. Sure. Um, and we're just asking people... It, it's focused around a person with down syndrome and then whoever is in their sphere of influence essentially, um, that wants to share. So it's parents and grandparents and siblings and coaches and teachers and friends and coworkers and employers all talking about 
sharing a little story about what they love about this person with Down syndrome. And I think that I have found that when we are able to see ourselves in something, it offers us so much humanity. Humanity. It gives us the ability to lean into it instead of push away from it, even if it feels scary. And the unknown is scary. And if you don't already love someone with Down syndrome and you find out you're going to have someone with Down syndrome in your life, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or an educator or a friend, whatever, that's an unknown that feels scary. And so if you see yourself in the story, right, if you can find yourself in that narrative, um, then there's more curiosity, I think, than there is fear or a little more hope. And Mm -hmm. yeah, and you can see in each other's, in our stories, when we share our stories and we hear stories, it's that humanity piece. It's seeing like, wait a second, you are human like I am human. And what I think we all want at the end of the day is to be seen and known and connected to one another, um, Down syndrome or not, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that that's the through line that I see in your books. So you wrote mm-hmm. The Lucky Few, you wrote Different, and you wrote Everyone Belongs. Am I leaving anything out? I had a second book after The Lucky Few in 2019, a book called Scoot Over and Make Some Room. Oh, um, which is, is an adult nonfiction. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So that's the through line though, that I see in your work is it's making it so that we all are seen and valued and connected. And I think you're absolutely right that like, there's this idea that we construct based off of our social context and narratives around what's supposed to be, right? Mm, Yep. Um, And just the other day, Sage was getting dressed and he was putting his arms, we were putting on his winter jacket. And I was like, all right, put one arm in, put your other arm in. And he goes, two arms. And I was like, yeah, you have two arms. And then I said, some people have two arms, some people have one arm, some people have no arms. And he was like, no arms. And I was like, right. Like, but I think if we aren't exposed to that, he right now in his life, everyone he's been exposed to has two arms. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, he has a narrative around what it is to be human and how many arms you have, whether he's aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. And it isn't until we're exposed to an acknowledge difference that I think we can even acknowledge the narratives we have around them. Oh, absolutely. You can't know what you don't know. Yeah. And that's why there's a lot of grace for it. But also I think in 2023, there's so many opportunities for knowing something, right? And, and it takes a little digging, but it takes our kids asking questions. I, I started as a writer, as an author with adult, and I switched over to children's book because I just think that our kids approach curiosity in a way that there's it's void of judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know at what age or what point in life you might know more about this. It shifts over to judgment. I know by fifth grade for sure. Um, but, <laughs> As you live it now. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> However, kids just want to know things in a way that is curious. And I think we as parents blow it constantly, you know, like we're the ones that are blowing it for them. But if we have that awareness, then we can have those conversations. That, that's a brilliant conversation to have with your son. It's, I mean, the fact that that's a conversation parents are having, I don't think very many are. I think you're a little bit of an exception to the rule, but it's happening more and more, you know? I think it's um, happening way more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that 
it just takes away all this fear and stigma from somebody who's different than you, because the reality is at some point we're going to be the different person in the room. Correct. And how do we get into the room as the different person and feel comfortable in those differences or feel okay, or even feel, feel okay in the discomfort as something to push through and walk towards instead of shy away. You know, like, I don't think the discomfort is bad. It's the, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to let that build walls around us so that we don't have to feel that feeling, which is not, which is a falsity because you're going to, it's going to happen again, you know, Mm -hmm. or are we going to be like, okay, I have a foundation in which I understand different isn't bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have this discomfort. Okay. That's also not bad. I have it because someone's different. Now, if I get to know the thing that's different, it's no longer unknown. And now it's, and it's no longer uncomfortable. And these are the tools that we can give our kids. hundred percent. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their luxe women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Labine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. That really do change narratives, really do create belonging. What I think is so powerful in what you're just saying is when we were creating the SEP method, that's like what my work is based off of research across the US, we have five phases of emotion processing in there. And phase three is security in your feelings. And this is the one that I think is the hardest for us as adults. And that we then, this becomes cyclical where it becomes harder Mm. for kids as well. 
And it's that ability to say discomfort isn't bad. Mm -hmm. I'm safe to be in discomfort. I'm Mm. safe to be in disappointment. I'm safe to be in fear. I'm safe to be in the unknown. I'm safe to be in there. That's not inherently bad. It doesn't Mm. mean that I'm not safe because something feels uncomfortable. And I think that that's so hard to do and such powerful work to teach our kids how to do, to model Mm -hmm. it, to teach them what does it look like to be in discomfort and say, I'm safe here. Mm. Have you found in all your research with that, that it is something that is more accessible for kids and adults? Yes, it is. Kids are really good at allowing their feelings and being in them. Mm. It's when they learn that they're not supposed to be in, in them, that we start to see things like anxiety pickup, et cetera, where it's like quicksand. Like you don't see a one-year-old typically who has anxiety outside of maybe separation anxiety where they're really saying, I don't feel safe internally, but they're not like, oh, I feel embarrassed. This thing Mm -hmm. happened. And Mm -hmm. now I'm anxious about feeling embarrassed. That becomes something they learn. You're not supposed to feel embarrassed. You're supposed to hide. That's shame worthy, whatever. And then they try to make it go away and they end up, it's like quicksand. The more you try to get out the, the deeper you go into it. And so for us as adults, we have this whole long list of emotions. We can tell you that we're not supposed to feel or Mm -hmm. be in, uh, and we try like hell to get out of them Mm. (laughs) or stay away from them. Yeah. Avoid them. Yeah. Ignore them. Yeah. Yeah. Sweep them under the rug. Correct. And we're so good at that. (laughs) We're so good at that. (laughs) And what it has perpetuated is a cycle of anxiety. Where we're like, oh, shoot, I'm feeling another thing I'm not supposed to feel. I'm feeling one of those, quote, bad feelings, and I need to make it go away. Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to feel disappointed. I'm not supposed to feel angry. I'm not supposed. I just had someone comment on a post the other day about anger and how we shouldn't be telling kids they should feel angry. Like, that's not healthy. And what I heard, and I just want to give this human such a big hug and be like, my friend, you're allowed to be angry, too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. As you're sharing all that, it's interesting thinking about disability mm-hmm. and the narrative around that, because it is, we are told disability is bad from the, from the second you learn that someone is pregnant. Yep. I don't care what gender I have so long as, right. Or even that body normativity, 10 fingers, 10 toes. Yeah. Right. So then wait a second. What happens if your kid isn't born with 10 fingers, 10 toes? What happens if your kid is born with an extra chromosome? What happens if your kid is born without limbs? What happens, you know, like, wait, whoa, 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 what are we doing? And it is, let's avoid this at all costs. This is negative. This is a stigma. This is uncomfortable. And then we're just putting that into, well, we're putting that into our kids very subliminally, but also we're living in a world in which systemically structures are built upon ableism. This idea that disabled people are bad um, or able-bodied neurotypical people are the best kind of people to be. And I think what's happening is we're just feeling more and more isolated and as we separate ourselves from disabled people or from people who aren't like us, you know, we're, we're losing that connection. Yeah. And it's I, the thing I say that my daughter Macy, so I have two kids with Down syndrome, but Macy was my game changer and that she came, she came first. She changed everything for me. She changed mm-hmm. the game for me. And with Macy, the gift that she has had as a human with Down syndrome is an invitation 
to stepping into seeing the intrinsic value and worth in every human. It's an invitation though. It's not a given, right? You have to accept it. You have to accept the invitation. That is who Mason's exist is existing in the world. She is an invitation to everyone who interacts with her to say, yes, I see you as intrinsically good and valuable because you have breath in your lungs and a heart beating in your chest. And as soon as we say that about her and believe it about her, it reflects like it, it reflects back on me. So if I'm going to believe it about Macy, mm-hmm. then I, I have to believe it about me. And that's that invitation to say to myself, who you are as you are is enough. You, like your intrinsic value and worth. You have that just by waking up in the morning. It's incredibly liberating. And I think it's what we're longing for in this society of like hustle, hustle, do more, be more, made for more, all the, sure. all of it, you know, like, yeah, legit. we're all drowning. We are drowning in comparison mm-hmm. and she got teary. I just thinking of your, I have not, for the record, I have not once made it through your whole book. Everyone belongs without crying because what it brings <laughs> up for, that's not a lie. Um, because what it brings up for me is that exact thing that like who you are right now is enough. And if there is one sentence I should read every day for the rest of my life, it's that who you are today is enough and that there isn't a single achievement that will, but, but this is what we do culturally, right? That we're like, yep. Well, these, I was just having conversations from the other day and I was just listening at the very beginning. They were explaining why the story they were about to tell me was credible, right? They didn't Mm -hmm. realize they were doing this, but they were outlining who this person is and all their accolades and their achievements and whatever, and then went into the story. And I was like, oh, and I, it was just that glimpse of like, this is all around us of like, Mm -hmm. there are certain things that you might do or achieve that raise your value or worth within our culture um, and within many cultures. And I just think the, the gift of like, if you don't produce a single thing and you just exist, that's mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. And you belong here. And oh my God. Yeah. It just, it makes me cry every time because it like is the reminder of comparison that I need. Mm -hmm. And I think when we surround ourselves only with humans who are neurotypical, able-bodied, et cetera, we're like, that's, then I'm supposed to be all the things they are too. Mm -hmm. Whatever they can do, I should be able to do just as well. And I think exposing ourselves to folks who whether it's art disabled or practice differently religion wise or look different than we do or have different family makeups than we do. I think the difference is a key to breaking down the comparison barrier because we get to notice everybody's doing life differently and that's okay. Yeah. And that's the, that's great. It's, you know, it's more than okay. Like this is what makes it good is that we're all doing things differently and we get to learn alongside one another and our differences. I think it's great. Yeah. It, and we don't have to do it all the things. No, we don't have to do all the things. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. 
we've been loving active skin repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier, and that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Have you ever been like scrolling the internet and there's all these like tools for calming your child and how to regulate and whatever and you try them and your child just gets amped up or that doesn't work or you find yourself in these cycles where it's like epic meltdown, try to come back from it and you just feel like you're putting out fires all day long. If this is you, you aren't alone. And we collaborated with an occupational therapist to create our sensory profile quiz. This is gonna help you learn about what helps your child regulate, what's happening in their unique nervous system. We are all different in figuring out what you're sensitive to or what helps you regulate is the key for actually doing this work, for getting to a regulated state, for having tools for calming down, for having tools for regulation. Head on over to www.seedquiz.com to take the quiz for free. You can take it as many times as you like for as many humans as you'd like. And we will deliver results right to your inbox to get you kickstarted on this journey. Seedquiz.com. Yeah, I, like I think about Macy and I think about my son, August. And how without them, I would have missed it. Like, I can't, I, I really do have to give them credit because I think of how I am even now because I do social media 
influencer work and I'm in the public eye and in its own small ways that I am. And I am prone to that. I'm not doing it. It's not enough. Same. Because, and you're, you're about to put a book in the world. There, there are jobs in which it's like literally a number tells me yes or no, you know, Correct. except, except let's say that there was this number that you wanted to sell 150,000 books, which just listeners. So, you know, this is a rarity in the book world. Very few books sell this many books. And then you hit that. I guarantee you that person is unsatisfied. I've never hit a goal and been like, oh gosh, I feel so much better now. Never. I've moved to the target. Totally. And the people who are making, like you're telling the story of the person who had that story that they had to tell you all the accolades or whatever before telling the story. That that's the thing. That's the trick about it is there's, you're never going to be like, oh, one more thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. So then, then we just are running like all those, like we're running the rat race or climbing the ladder or whatever it is. It's this trick ladder. There's no top rung. And in the meantime, we're leaving everyone behind who can't ever even make it to the step, you know, to the first step. And so you've got, and then you've got Macy who's like, here I am as I am. Hey guys. And then the only thing in her that, that the thing that's like driving her at all to be more whatever is outside sources. Like Mm -hmm. she's pretty dang content with who she is and she's going to meet you and she's going to be like, oh, there you are. Cool. I mean, aside from like Beyonce, I think she'd be pumped to meet Beyonce and be like, it's Beyonce. But for the most part, she'd also be really excited to hang out with the kid in her theater class. Maybe yeah. equally so, you know, like she, she's just not someone who is, oh, how would I say this? A, the, a very poor way of explaining it. It's like, she's not lining people up. Right. In like category. Driven in a by category. like that extrinsic motivation of if I'm connected to you, then I will feel valued. Yes. Yeah. And so if I didn't have that invitation, if I didn't step into the invitation of Macy, I would, I know I would be that person. And Mm -hmm. I already am having a hard time in that space with living with these kids who keep me tethered to the truth. Um, And if I didn't have that, I would be so miserable. I know I would, but I'd be continuing to do more and more and more and more, meet the person, get in the room, get the sponsor, get the whatever, blah, 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 blah. And let's say this too working, working to be your best self, to put your best work into the world. It's not a bad thing, but it's that it's a gray, a really fine line or this gray space between being your best self and being what other people think you should be. And intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think, gosh, I, I am, I'm jealous of Macy's wholeness um, mm. I'm so lovely. And that's fostered. That's something we learn because we've been taught that we are valued just as we are mm. and that there isn't a grade on a test, a job we could get a college we could get into a shot we could hit in a game. Like there isn't a single thing that would increase our value to our secure attachment caregivers. Yeah, that's how we get to be Macy and mm-hmm. you cultivated that. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's given you a gift. You've also given her many. Mm, that's a really kind thing to say. I received that. I, I'll also add that. I, I really think she taught me to cultivate it. Sure. Right. Like it's kind of cyclical in that way. Yeah. I am wondering, you know, we're 
as we're chatting about this and I'm thinking about like inclusion and belonging in comparison and how at odds those can be the inclusion and belonging and the comparison part. Mm. And I'm wondering, especially as your kids are now getting older, older in terms of seed life (laughs) or like birth (laughs) to eight life, um, as they're older and in school and navigating this, what are markers you for like inclusive education when they're outside of your home, when they're in community or they're in schools? What does that look like? And how do we advocate for it? Yeah. It's hard to know what it looks like because I'm not seeing it uh, mm. where we live. <laughs> I know what it doesn't look like. And uh, we've been in very few spaces. My husband and I talk about shoulder up and shoulder down spaces. And when you're raising a disabled kid or a child who doesn't quite fit the mold in, in life and society, when, when we step outside our front door, most of the time we're stepping into shoulder up spaces where we're like tense, high, highly aware of what's happening, aware of who's there, who's not, what's being said, what's not, how our child's behaving or not. Um, and there's very few places I can count on one hand with other people involved that we're just, everyone's fine. Yeah, shoulders down. And I think a shoulders down space is a space of belonging. And and I'll I will pull out from the book that you're you've referenced, Everyone Belongs. Um, because I think it so far is the best way I've been able to communicate what a space of belonging looks like. And there's three things. I, I have it behind me, so I might have to pull it up. But there's three lines that the two sisters in the in the book who are the main characters who put on this play say to the people who show up. And one is they say exactly who you are is exactly who we pick. And this idea that when Macy shows up in a space, she just gets to show up as she is without any expectations for her to be more like the other people in the space. Um, When you go to school, that's not the case. When we go to theater class, that's not the case. Her peers, as a teenager, her peers don't know how to be around her with her being her because Mm -hmm. it is so different than who they are socially. And if she can't become what they are socially, then she's out. There's so there's no belonging there. She doesn't get to be who she is in a space. So I think that's important. Like it's this looking at people as they are, assuming that good about them, assuming good, assuming they can, and allowing them to be who they are in a space. And then the the sisters say, "We're so happy you're here. You're in the right place." So there's like a moment with all the kids coming up where they're feeling you like truly the sister can sense some anxiety in the group. People wondering like, "Can I do this?" and interrupts everyone's thoughts and says, we're so happy you're here. You're in the right place. And the amount of times that Macy walks into a space and no one says that, no one says that. Nobody says that to her. And even if she were to walk, I'll use an example, like into an algebra two class, which she's still like wrote counting numbers. Even that idea of like, oh my gosh, Macy, you're here. I'm so happy you're here. This is going to be a really hard class for you, but you know what? I know who to call. Let me call this person and let's find the support that you need in, in this math, you know, like instead of like, Oh, you don't belong here because you can't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, so that idea, like you are so happy you're here. Let's figure this out together. You help me. I'll help you. We can do this together. And then the line at the very end, which gets me teary-eyed every time too, is there's a kid, a wheelchair user who comes up and they realize that the stage doesn't have a ramp. And so they have to problem solve it. I'm giving the end away, but it's a thousand words. So it's a picture. (laughs) And then truly says the space is the problem, not how he gets around. And how often, choke every time, how often disabled kids or kids who don't fit the mold are seen as the problem. And this is Mason and Augie's 
whole life is you are the problem. Your disability is the problem. The more that you can be like your non-disabled peers, the more you get to be here. Um, and so the not belonging is happening in every space we're in, uh, most spaces we're in. But how do you foster belonging and inclusion? Well, I think, I don't know that, in, I don't believe that inclusion can happen without a foundation of belonging. Yeah. And foundationally, I think, right, as I think, foundationally, it is those three things. Who you are is who we want in this space. We're going to figure this out together, right? I'm so happy you're here. And the space is the problem, not you. So if we can start that, if that's our foundation, then there's just going to, it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be all those feelings that we have as human beings, right? And our mm -hmm. kids are going to experience. But foundationally, we we start there. That's the starting point. And then then inclusion can happen. Then inclusive practice, practices can be implemented in a space. Yes. Like sign <laughs> me up. Yes. This and how is do why we this do it? Makes me right? cry all the time. I just this morning I had a teacher who reached out. I'm I'm doing a workshop um here soon for a group of early childhood educators on uh, challenging behaviors and I had a teacher who will be present at the workshop who was like yeah I just have so many kids with really challenging behaviors this year in my classroom and I the immediate feeling I had was frustration because I was like if you have so many kids in your classroom that are having challenging behaviors it's not the kids, it's the system. Like, what are we expecting them to do? Uh, is it developmentally appropriate? Are we meeting their, in our case, often sensory needs? And how are we setting these kids up for success to be themselves? Right? Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. my child sitting at a meal is really hard for him. Mm -hmm. And the experience of eating, he's a tactily sensitive human. And the experience of eating is not always easy. And I was just chatting with his childcare provider who was incredible the other day about like, listen, I don't care if he sits in the chair. Like if you don't care if he sits in the chair, I don't care if he sits in the chair. He can stand at the table at our house. There's a tower. He can climb up and stand and he'll swing his feet and whatever while he's up there and eat his food and great. Um, and then we were having this discussion about like, will that always be the case, right? Like, mm. and how just bullshit it is that it won't. Yeah. That like, yep. he's he will at some point be in a classroom or in a school setting where there's conformity expected. And rather than what helps your body thrive and learn and grow and how do we create a space that makes that happen. Mm -hmm. I think the space yeah. is a huge thing in the school community. Yeah. The space, even in regards to support, like right. that teacher you're talking about her, she's got all these behaviors in her classroom. It's like, okay, all, somebody's here is under supported. Is it you a teacher, yes. right? Like how many more, what other kind of support needs to be in here? This, right. the space is the problem. Quit looking at disabled kids as the problem or, you know, whatever it is like, yep. And, and it's not to say that my kids with, with Down syndrome don't have, we don't have expectations for them. We do, you know, like there are, I don't know where, where you, the perimeters are, but we have perimeters around things and we have expectations and certain behaviors unexpected. And we're not going to be like too bad. This is what they feel like doing. I think sure. that's just an all parenting, you know, like 
I think that we all want this checklist. Well, what do you mean that your son can, can be on the tower? Can mm-hmm. he, what about this? What about this? Well, what about it? Let's figure that out for our kid as we need to figure it out. But can we start with, oh my gosh, I'm so happy you're here, right? Can we start with exactly who you are? That's who we want here. Can we start there? Because I think once once our kids, you know more about this because this is your profession, but I'll speak for me and my kids. Once we feel a sense of belonging, it really changes everything. Our whole posture changes. Um, and you know, this behavior is un, non, unspoken communication, nonverbal communication. And so what then I think with Mason and the world and with school and everything is so hard right now, what her behavior is communicating is I just want to know that I belong here. And when nobody talks to me and no one invites me to sit with them at lunch. And when I act out, I am out of control of my body and I'm getting weird looks and people are avoiding me in a space. Why would I want to be in this place? You know, like why would I do anything but behave the way that I'm behaving? I just want to belong. I want to know I belong. And unfortunately this, the foundation for schools in America, essentially, but especially California, um, the foundation is not one of belonging. It's one of exclusion. That's how schools were built. So, and that's never been ripped up. It's just been band-aid. Yes. <laughs> Correct. And, and so we've got to rip it up and that's yeah. radical and people don't want to do radical things. I do. Well, and the thing <laughs> is like, and, and I was thinking about this with the teacher who reached out today. I was like, oh, in so many ways, her life, the teacher's life is harder in the day to day because of the space, the supports, the whatever, like that by not ripping it up, it's actually harder for the adults. Like if we ripped it up and looked and we're like, what would it look like to create a system where everyone feels that belonging and then inclusion and we would see fewer challenging behaviors. We They would drastically decrease mm-hmm. because kids would feel safe and yeah. connected. And it doesn't mean they wouldn't have hard feelings. They're going to get disappointment, disappointed when they can't figure that thing out, et cetera. But they're going to have a safe space to turn with those feelings and an outlet and supports in place for navigating them. And we right now as a culture are making it so much harder than it has to be by not mm-hmm. ripping it up. Yeah. Yeah. Not just for the kids, for ourselves, for everybody. This is what I always talk about with inclusion. Like, yes, this is going to be good for Mason, but you know, who's going to be great for everybody else, everybody else. And the thing too, about belonging, I think when you have that foundation of belonging, I was talking with a friend of mine whose daughter has, um, she's autistic and has cerebral palsy and needs a lot of support in her day and in her life. And they have her in a separate school for kids with disabilities um, so that she has those supports. And we talk about, and, and this friend very much believes in inclusion. And she has said, in order for my daughter to be included in the bigger picture, she has to have this classroom space. And I think it's not even about, when you talk, when I talk about inclusion, it's not even about the space at this, like the separate classroom versus the not. If you start with belonging and you start with that, who you are is enough, who you are is good. We're so happy you're here. Then naturally on a good foundation of belonging, as we start building, there's going to be separate places, but it's Mm -hmm. not going to be that separate other class with the kids who are less than me, which no one's saying out loud, but that is what has been communicated, continues to be communicated and perpetuated. Um, 
because the separate class is fine. If you need a separate class, have a separate class. Totally. But, but everyone in the separate class needs to be seen as fully human and honored as full as full humans. I mean, it translates all down the road. Like say you're a nursing mom at work and you need a space to go and pump and store your milk and whatever. Like this translates all down the road. You're not less than for needing that. That's what you need to thrive as a working nursing mom and or parent. And I, I think, oh God, I just, I love you so much. I love this core foundation here. And those questions throughout the book, I think are so important for us as the adults. I think all children's books should be written as you write them, where it's, uh, they're not just for kids. They're for us as the adults (laughs) reading them (laughs) to be able to reflect and say like, where do we go from here? What is Mm -hmm. important? How do we deconstruct and rebuild? And what questions do we ask ourselves? And you, you just do that so well. And I'm so grateful for you and your work Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. I'm grateful for you too. Where can people that. find more about you and your work and your books and all that jazz? Um, heatheravis.com has all, has it all or the lucky few.com. Both, both will take you to all the links. We have a podcast called the lucky few. I have two co-hosts who are also moms of kids with down syndrome and it's a down syndrome specific podcast. Anybody can listen. And we have um, a handful of listeners who don't have a loved one with Down syndrome that are avid listeners, but it's very, we have experts on and talk about every single topic you could imagine that's connected to Down syndrome. And that's, yeah, on Instagram at the Lucky Few Official. That's Thank around. you. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank we'll link you. to all that jazz um, for folks who maybe tune into a podcast like me while you're like doing the dishes and can't go to them now. They'll be yes. on our blog at voices of Thank you so much, Heather. You are a gift in this world Aww. and I feel grateful for you. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks for having me on. I'm so grateful for this conversation and for what you're doing. I love the conversation you're having with your kids, all this, all this hope in the world, you guys. <laughs> so much hope if we can find it. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners 
on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.